Welcome to the EFC Podcast. I'm Karen Stiller. When a church leader engages in sexual misconduct or harassment, it is devastating for the victim, obviously, but it's also devastating for the church he or she leads. We've seen leaders fall in recent months as women who have sometimes felt silenced by the church or misunderstood by the church have stepped forward to tell their stories. Today, we're going to explore this difficult topic with David Martin, Executive Minister of the Mennonite Church, Eastern Canada. David has served for over 25 years as pastor in several congregations within Ontario, and he's been involved in dealing with issues of sexual misconduct within the church. David, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. I'm happy to talk about this important issue with you, Karen. Good. Well, tell us first how you first got involved in this work. I'm guessing you didn't uh, run to it. (laughs) Absolutely not. My first experience actually was back in the late 80s when I was serving on our regional denominational credentialing body for pastors. It was at that point that we were dealing with a fairly serious boundary crossings issue. And I was just exposed to the incredible pain and complexity that is a part of dealing with these issues. And I mean, it feels so shocking. Uh, Well, it used to (laughs) when it happened within the church, because it's just it feels like it should be the last place we get these kinds of situations. Tell me how we can kind of bring those two thoughts together. I think that's true, Karen. We have this expectation that church is about the love of God. This is a safe place. We're okay here. But we forget that church is also the broken community of the sinners, and life is not perfect, and sin and pain happens in the church. And when we talk about, uh, when we use the term boundary crossing, can you unpack that for us a little bit and maybe give even some examples of what real boundary crossing looks like? We're talking about um, people in power, so uh, maybe the clergy person, I'm assuming, uh, with a parishioner. Tell us what it looks like. I think when we're dealing with the church, it's quite a wide spectrum. We tend to think of this conversation primarily about uh, paid staff leadership, uh, pastors in particular, other church professionals. But I think it also extends to those in power in the church who are leaders, And it also extends to those of us who sit in the pew. Uh, It's also peer-to-peer in the church. Okay. And I think that whole range of stuff, um, it's everything from the glaring, the staring, everything from the inappropriate comment to a fellow church member on a Sunday morning is a crossing of boundaries and a breach of safe space. Yeah. It's the any form of sexual harassment uh, that is occurring. It becomes, I think, particularly egregious uh, when it's characterized by a power differential, where someone, a church leader, a pastor is exercising power in order to gratify their own sexual needs. That particularly is problematic, but it's also the whole range of other stuff that, from the look right on through to sexual assault. Let me, um, let's dig into a couple of those points. I'm guessing that there are some, um, there is some relativity to some boundaries. So if, let's say the peer-to-peer situation, what might bother me might not bother someone else. Um, But there are some universal (laughs) things that everybody would accept would be boundary crossing. Is that right? Absolutely. Karen, I think some of the most obvious ones are inappropriate sexual comment, 
touch, inappropriate touch. And that can be very elusive in terms of what does that touch mean? Uh, again, it might mean one thing to someone else, but it'd be extremely uncomfortable for the next person. Right on through to sexual invitation to out and out assault. Wow. And you see this whole range or you've heard of this whole range in your work. I have. Wow. And it's, uh, I'd love uh, to hear that this is rare. <laughs> is this rare? I would say yes. When I look over the number of years I've been in these kinds of positions with this kind of responsibility for oversight of pastors credentialing, the number of congregations we have, and then the actual incidences, I'd like to say it is relatively rare. It's certainly not commonplace, but when it does happen, it's devastating. Yes. Okay, let's talk about um, <clears throat> clergy now or people in positions of leadership. Um, and how is there a circumstance in which this kind of um, boundary crossing is most likely to grow? Like I, my, my head immediately goes to a counseling situation or something where there's this uh, environment of emotional intimacy that may get out of hand. Is that what we're most often talking about? It can be, um, not necessarily. And I think it's become even more complex these days. I think the counseling situation that you referenced is a significant one because of the intimacy of the context. And I think even when you think of the wording, there is a fine boundary between compassion and passion. And sometimes uh, leaders can cross that line. But I think with the advent now of uh, social media, electronic technology, that intimacy sphere has multiplied. Right, because there are so many more ways to be in touch with someone. Is that what you mean? Exactly. Okay. So if, um, first of all, are we training our clergy to watch out for, you know, signs within themselves that, hey, I'm starting to like this person, or I'm starting to share my stuff, or are cler do clergy know what to watch for? I hope so. And that's why it's so important that we work at those kinds of prevention protocols. If I go back to the 1980s uh, situation I referenced, it was at that time that uh, we here in Mennonite Church, Eastern Canada, started putting more substantial preventive measures into place. And one of those measures uh, that we soon subscribed to was the boundaries training for pastors. A lot more emphasis on training pastors in what are professional boundaries, exactly the things you just referenced. What do you watch for? How do you monitor yourself? How do you know when something's crossing the line? Yeah. And um, I guess I'm thinking about, you know, the heart being a deceitful thing that you could... Uh, I can see how you could get in a situation where you think you are following those rules, actually, and then your emotions start to lead the way instead. Are, is accountability to another person a key part of this process? Yes. I think within our own ministry context, there needs to be places of accountability that are very clear. Okay. In terms of our own regional denomination, the boundaries training I just referenced, we require that of pastors every five years. And they do not uh, re renew their credential unless they participate in that boundaries training workshop, one day workshop every five years. So that's, again, an accountability measure 
to the person that holds your credential. Yeah, that's impressive. I think I, 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 I maybe that's common. I haven't heard of that. That that's part of the renewing of credential. I'm hearing more of that. Okay. So what is the bare minimum? Um, if <laughs> We should probably should talk about more than the bare minimum, but what do churches, like individual congregations, have to have in place in terms of policies to protect everybody? We, for the last uh, several decades, have been encouraging our congregations to have their own individual safe spaces policies. So that would be policies that cover a whole range of things in the congregation. I mean, one of the very um, fundamental pieces is simply, what is your facility like? And how does that work for you or work against you? Uh, are your Sunday school rooms in secluded places with no windows? Mm-hmm. Uh, here in MCEC, in the last several years, we uh, have new office space. Those office spaces were designed to have plenty of windows in the doors, side lights beside the doors, just the environment itself can work against you um, or for you. So I think if those are some of the policies, I know we've had churches that have gone through and retrofitted all their Sunday school doors with windows. Uh, That's one elemental piece that can be done. I think other pieces are what are the expectations when dealing with kids? Uh, What are your boundaries for youth leaders? Where are the police checks in place? Who needs to be there when you are off-site with a group of people? Uh, how do you care for the vulnerable ones? How many churches have policies where there always have to be two adults present when a child is there? So just a whole raft of procedures that basically give a clear message, but also are preventative in their own right. And let's say, let's move now, shift the conversation to um, the victim. And so let's say, you know, something falls apart and um, these policies don't work in some situation and someone comes forward and shares their story. How do we, how should we respond and how do we best help the victim? I think Probably the first thing we need to be thinking about as congregations and church institutions is how do you build an environment of trust for victims to come forward? Okay. Coming forward as a victim is incredibly threatening. And if there are too many barriers in place, that simply will not happen. So how do we reduce those barriers? So even in a congregational policy or policy procedure, very clear, who do you get to report to? And are there multiple places of entry for reporting, not just one person? Uh, if it's a church council chair, maybe that's the person you're having a problem with. Okay. So there should be at least several multiple entry points for reporting, and they should also have options for choice of gender as well. Mm-hmm. And there was a time in our history as a culture where victims were often not believed or, you know, it was minimized. Oh, they didn't mean it. Oh, you're overreacting. But um, that, I think that has changed with the whole Me Too movement. And do you think that is changing in churches? I would say to some degree, but I would not make assumptions. Okay. I think it is too easy for our congregations to want to avoid the pain of dealing with this stuff. Yeah. And it is very easy still, uh, just in the last couple of years here, I've had instances where congregations are very tempted to blame the victim. Oh, boy. And uh, victims sometimes come with uh, backgrounds that have made them vulnerable and may even make them look like 
they're not believable, but sometimes that's the very reason they are preyed on. Right, right. So it's just too easy for someone to look at the victim and say, oh, well, that's just her. We know who she is. Um, We don't trust her anyway. We don't trust his integrity. Uh, That can't be true. We'll just push it into the corner. I think that is still too much alive and well today. What do we do about that? Like, as, as soon as you were saying that, David, I was thinking, yeah, I can totally hear people saying things like that. How do we change that deeply embedded bias? That's a tough one. Uh, I think education is one part of that, mm-hmm. and it's not classroom education. Um, I can share with you a couple of initiatives we've done here at Midnight Church Eastern Canada. Yeah, please. One is to uh, create a story resource. So we, in fact, commissioned a woman by the name of Carol Penner, one of our pastors and now professor of practical theology, to actually write a series of stories and bring in biblical perspectives, bring in questions for study groups. They're very gripping stories that help you enter some of the dynamics we've been talking about and help people to think them through and reflect on them together. Okay. And this, um, the fact that we are places of forgiveness, and does that make it easier for victims or uh, do we rush too quickly to forgiveness? I don't, I don't know how we handle that. That's a challenging dynamic in the church that we need both to be cautious about as well as to firmly embrace. So I think that rush to forgiveness can easily compromise dealing with the victim and minimizing that experience and quickly rushing to forgive the offender. I think instead we need to have strong sense of accountability for dealing with bad behavior, inappropriate behaviors. And forgiveness is something the church needs to engage. Restoring an individual is something the church is concerned about that the wider world may not be as concerned about. Both parties are important, but I think in many ways, uh, forgiveness comes down the road. The first person you are perhaps most primarily dealing with is the victim, and then also providing supports and accountability for the offender. Okay. And holding the offender to account is really what is best, you know, for the soul of the offender, right? We must believe that. Absolutely. If someone is offending... I would say there's a problem in their life. There's brokenness and something in their life that needs healing. That's what driving them to inappropriate behavior. So the the offender is also a victim of something. Uh, Broken community standards and values, brokenness in their own life. They need healing as well. But if we're going to have to preference someone, at least at the outset, my bias would be to preference the victim. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's say uh, someone is listening to this podcast from a church that uh, maybe doesn't have, you know, as much in place to protect people as they could. What should they do next? Um, like, do is a call to the denominational headquarters in order, or what do they do? I think that makes sense. There are lots of resources out there. And I think denominations are taking this much more seriously these days and would likely be able to provide materials or at least point churches in the right direction. And so I think it also is the responsibility of our church governance bodies, and they should be the ones taking some strong leadership on these issues. Yeah. Okay. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us today. 
My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.